Hello, and welcome to the Running for Wellness podcast. I am Eric, and I will be your host for this fourth podcast titled Dressing the Part. It may seem weird to spend an entire podcast talking about shoes and clothing when we're supposed to be talking about running, but it is impressive how much shoes and clothing have contributed both in function and style to the creation of a running lifestyle. For generations, The clothing needed for running has consisted of an ensemble of athletic shoes, shorts, and a t-shirt. Mostly, it's what a lot of us wear while hanging out around the house on Saturday. But when walking into a store that sells activewear, the choices are numerous. There are shoes for the trail, track, roads, shoes that are cushioned, minimalist, wide, and the list of features goes on and on. There's clothing for sunny, windy, snowy, and rainy days, all available in endless configurations. So buying the right stuff can seem overwhelming. What do you really need? And why has choosing what to wear while sweating become a multi-billion dollar industry? Mainly, it all comes down to the function of the clothing and personal preference. Gearing up for exercise doesn't need to be rocket science. So today, We're going to simplify that experience. First, let's discuss clothing and then finish our journey by navigating to the world of shoes. Aside from the many options exercise apparel companies may offer, you can get away with just owning a few pieces of clothing. This is especially true if you are new to running. The crucial consideration when selecting an outfit for exercise is the weather outside. The question, is it raining, cold, or sunny, will naturally determine your choices. Chances are, you already own the clothing that is perfect for going for a run outside or at the gym. And if not, there's no need to run out and buy a whole wardrobe all at once. It's perfectly acceptable to purchase new pieces when the seasons change or when a need arises. To exercise comfortably at all seasons, you'll want a wardrobe that's similar to this one. First, a couple pairs of running shorts. Running shorts will have a built-in brief and usually a pocket for storing keys. Women may also want to consider looking into running skirts. They also have a brief and storage for keys. Second, have a couple of short and long sleeve shirts made of technical fabric. We'll cover all about the details of technical fabric in a bit. Third, for women, include a couple of sports bras. And then fourth, a pullover made of a windproof material that will provide warmth on cold and windy days. Fifth, a pair of running tights or pants, depending on your personal preference. Six, a hat made of fleece that fits snugly and covers most of your ears. Seven, a warm pair of gloves with fingers that will allow the use of a gadget. And then finally, eight, a few pairs of athletic socks made of wiki material. Now, I know this list may appear minimal, But over time, your collection will grow and your options will increase. Buying up the latest clothing trends can be expensive. However, it is possible to find high-quality items discounted when the seasons change or when manufacturers make way for their new lines. Be sure to check online because discounts can be found for nearly everything at any time. One reason there are so many options 
is the development of technical fabric in the past 20 years. The material is designed to move sweat away from the body and to the surface of the fabric. This process is called wicking, and it's beneficial because it prevents clothing from clinging to your skin, making it cold and clammy. In the summer, you'll stay cooler because your sweat will evaporate quickly, and in cold weather, perspiration is moved away from your skin, keeping you warmer. Another advantage of technical fabrics is their lightweight when compared to cotton, which absorbs and holds on to water. When selecting clothing with wicking features, it will often be referred to as microfiber, Coolmax, dry fit, or a similar name. Wicking fabric is soft and feels somewhat smoother and lighter than cotton. Perhaps the most significant feature of technical fabric is the ability to stretch and retain its original shape. The material can fit snugly while preventing the restriction of movement. Also, while we're on the subject of supportive fabrics, it's the perfect time to bring up the importance of owning a few quality sports bras. Because a sports bra needs to be supportive, lightweight, and wick moisture. Choose one made with technical fabric and not cotton. Many bras will also contain lycra, which provides additional support. Fit, comfort, and the ability to move with you are qualities for consideration while making your selection. Dressing for running in the warmer months is relatively simple, although some mornings you may want to wear long sleeves or a lightweight jacket. When winter arrives, the key to dressing comfortably and warm is layering. The concept of layering is this. Instead of wearing one large piece of clothing, put on a few light layers to remain warm and mobile. At the start of a run, you'll be warm, and then when you become too warm, that's when you start shedding the layers. Extra clothing can be tied around your waist if you're on an extended run. If you're out running a loop, dropping off clothing in a safe place like your car is always an option. Consider what shirt you want to act as a base layer and put that on first. Then as you take the layers off, your base layer should remain underneath. Keeping your legs warm in the winter is relatively easy compared to keeping your upper body comfortable. Investing in a pair of running tights or pants can be well worth it. Now, tights and pants can be extremely expensive, but there are also plenty of high-quality, affordable options. Look for sales and discounts because they are easy to find. Tights come in different weights, so consider what would be appropriate for your particular need. I start wearing lightweight tights when the temperature ranges from 40 to 25 degrees. They are perfect for fall weather or when the wind is relatively calm. Thermal tights look nearly identical to their lighter weight counterparts, but they'll be noticeably thicker to the touch. They perform well when temperatures range from 25 to about minus 10 degrees. If the temperature drops any lower, consider for opting for the treadmill. Now, modesty can be a concern for a runner that feels uncomfortable in form-fitting tights. It's not uncommon to see someone wear shorts over the top of a pair of tights. Wearing tights along with shorts can have its benefits. It provides extra warmth, and it also helps deflect a cold wind. Another popular option is running pants. They are constructed out of heavier fabrics, and they're tapered at the ankles, but they're less form-fitting. Now, some runners love to run in Arctic-like conditions, but I'm really not one of them. Cold temperatures and dry air, they can aggravate some health conditions, so be sure to check out the weather conditions before heading out. Use your best judgment when deciding to run outside or head off to the gym. 
Another investment for staying warm and dry is a jacket. There are many options and features built into jackets that are nice and can drive up their cost. I currently use two jackets, depending on weather conditions. The first is a lightweight jacket that is designed to repel rain and prevents cold wind from reaching my skin. Most of these jackets are constructed out of nylon and are rain-resistant. They're designed to be breathable and vent excess heat and moisture. It's worn on rainy and cold days, mostly during the spring and fall seasons. My second jacket is more substantial, and it's designed to provide warmth during the winter months. It's constructed out of two layers, the first layer being an insulated liner, which is intended for heat. Some higher-end jackets are lined with fleece for extra warmth. The second layer is a weatherproof layer that is resistant to rain and to snow. Heavier wind-blocking panels are placed in the front, back, and along the arms to deflect extreme winds. Even though the outside is constructed out of a heavier material, it's still relatively light and doesn't make me feel like the Michelin Man. One essential element that both jackets share is their reflective properties. You'll notice that some jackets contain more reflective features and provide increased visibility compared to others. Look for jackets with reflective piping and striping. It's most often placed along the seams and the zippers. So when the weather changes, days are shorter and there's less light. Being visible should be an essential consideration when choosing a jacket, especially if you run early in the morning or into the evenings. A great addition to any jacket is to include a lightweight battery-powered headlamp that can be turned on when it's dark. With a headlamp and a reflective jacket, you significantly improve your visibility to vehicle traffic. Well, all right, no discussion about what to wear would be complete without talking about shoes. Not just any shoes, but running shoes. The shoe industry is a big business that dwarfs the gross national product of some developing nations. And for a good reason. Shoes are designed to protect our feet from the elements, and just about any of them accomplish that function. However, for this discussion, we'll focus on shoes designed specifically for running. There are a lot of athletic shoes that perform specific tasks. For example, a basketball shoe provides stability for dynamic lateral shifting. A football cleat? It's designed to provide traction on grass. But running shoes are designed to absorb shock and cushion the foot from repetitive impact. While running, our feet can hit the pavement over a thousand times per mile. That impact can be equal to your own body weight. The faster you go, the force can equal up to four times your own body weight. With that kind of abuse, having an excellent running shoe becomes a necessity, and your feet will thank you. The first question many new runners ask when looking for a running shoe is, which one is the best? The simple answer is this. There is not one particular shoe that is the best. Even a running shoe is designed to meet the mechanical needs of a variety of runners. The better question to ask is, what is the best shoe for you? Thankfully, there's a lot of help in navigating and finding a shoe that will work for you. Some helpful advice I received early on was to visit a specialty running store. Experienced salespeople were able to observe the movement of my feet while I was on a treadmill. I also brought in a well pair used of athletic shoes to provide a clue of where the wear and tear were taking place. Along with answering questions and helping me find a great fitting shoe, I was able to try on a variety of brands and take several laps around the store. 
An excellent running shoe needs to accomplish several things for a runner. First, the shoe must fit comfortably and snug. It should become a natural extension of the foot, and after a while, you may forget the shoe is there. Second, the shoe needs to correct and support any alignment issues in a runner's foot. Third, a shoe needs to be appropriate for the surface where it will be used. Let's start with the first item on the checklist. What kind of shoe is required to ensure the best fit? I want to introduce you to some guidelines that will ensure you get a pair of running shoes with a great fit and will provide many miles of comfort. First, when you try on a pair of running shoes, lace them up as you would any shoe. This way, you'll be able to determine the fit. All right, first, the heel. The heel should feel secure but not too tight or loose. Stand up and rock back and forth on the heel. Jump up and down slightly if you want to determine what your heel strike will feel like in those shoes. If the heel is uncomfortable, either choose a different size or perhaps another shoe. Number two, the instep. The instep is associated with the width of the shoe that encapsulate the arch of the foot. There should not be any pressure or tightness around this part of the shoe. While running, your feet will flatten slightly, making them wider due to the continuous absorption of a foot strike. A tight fit will accentuate this transformation, making your shoes feel increasingly uncomfortable. Select a shoe with a snug but comfortable fit, especially when you are going on longer runs. Third is the toe box, and the toe box is just as it sounds. This is the area in the front of the shoe where your toes will rest. This area should not be tight, but allow for some slight wiggling of the toes. To ensure a good fit, you should have a finger's width between your toes and the front of the shoe. If the toe box seems too tight, some manufacturers make a variety of widths for some of their more popular models. Fourth is the length. To ensure the correct length of a shoe, make sure you can wiggle your toes and there's a thumb width between your longest toe and the end of the shoe. Having too much room can be also be a problem, so make sure the fit is secure but comfortable. Lastly, the feel. In selecting a running shoe, the fit of the arch is an important consideration. It's difficult to tell if the arch fits well by just standing. Don't hesitate to ask if you can run down an aisle, a sidewalk, and you know some stores will provide a treadmill. A sure sign that the shoe is not a good fit will be the cramping of your foot right under the arch. The arch should feel natural and comfortable. If the arch is too high or too low, choose another model of shoe because the design of the arch will be consistent in all sizes of that shoe. There are some common mistakes that runners of all levels of experience make when selecting a shoe. The first is buying a shoe because it looks cool or has some groundbreaking gimmick. From personal experience, when the minimalist shoes became very trendy, I quickly snatched up a pair. Because they were only available by mail order, getting just the right fit was going to be a hassle. Right away, I noticed the shoe was way too tight. But wanting to run in these cool new shoes, I ran out the door. About two miles later, I had to stop because of pain. When I took off the shoes, I was surprised to see bleeding where the instep had cut into my feet. The shoes went back in the box, and the wait began for a larger size to arrive in the mail. At times, the coolest shoe will not have a great fit, or even be comfortable. The second most common mistake is buying shoes that are too small. This is especially problematic for athlete shoes, 
because most of them run a size larger. For example, a woman who wears a size 8 dress shoe may likely need a size 9 in a running shoe. Although you may feel self-conscious about needing a larger shoe, getting the right fit is essential. Shoes that are too small or fit too tightly lead to blisters, black toenails, or even broken toes. Let's move on to the second aspect of selecting a shoe. Unique to you is your stride and how your feet land, roll, and spring from a running surface. These attributes are referred to as biomechanics. For simplicity's sake, there are three categories, the first being neutral. And this is the category where about half of all runners land. As a result, most shoes are designed to accommodate neutral runners. Second, motion control. These are shoes that provide stability to runners that overpronate. Okay, the word overpronate was new to me when I started running too. In fact, this is the category where I fall. While running, when the foot hits the ground, it will roll slightly inwards. This is in preparation to spring your foot off the ground for another stride. Overpronation is when your foot rolls too much, so a motion control shoe will attempt to stabilize the foot to prevent too much movement. Overpronators tend to get injuries caused by soft tissue fatigue, such as tendinitis and a variety of knee problems. This is because the extra motion is required of the muscles, tendons, and ligaments. The third and last category is cushioning. Whereas overpronation is the result of too much movement, the other side of the pendulum is called supination, which is a result of not enough movement. Supinators, yes, another one of those crazy new words, submit their bodies to great amounts of shock because their feet move through too small of a range of motion. And as a result, supinators tend to be susceptible to ankle sprains, stress fractures, and shin splints. A cushion shoe will provide additional cushion and flexibility to absorb the extra impact. The third and last category to visit is the variety of terrains shoes are designed to handle. Most shoes are designed for the road, track, or treadmill. They provide cushioning, a moderate level of tread, and are lightweight. But there are also trail running shoes. These are designed to be waterproof, and they have aggressive tread to grip uneven surfaces. Trail running shoes are often more rigid as to provide more stability, and they are usually heavier than their road counterparts. Trail running shoes are fantastic at what they do, but they shouldn't be used for everyday running because they will reduce your speed and efficiency. Let's wrap up this discussion on shoes, on covering how long a shoe should last, and what is a reasonable price range for a pair of running shoes. A good pair of running shoes should last about 500 miles before needing to be replaced. Even if a pair of shoes looks pristine after 500 miles, the cushioning will be toast and not perform well. Not every pair is created equally or will hold up to 500 miles, so don't be afraid to replace them. Some running apps have features that will track the mileage of a pair of shoes, so you'll always be in the know. Keeping yourself in a good pair of running shoes will most likely be your greatest expense as a runner. My experience has shown that a good pair of running shoes will run from $60 to $80 a pair. It's possible to find them cheaper at big box stores, but they will often lack adequate cushioning and will be constructed out of subpar materials. There are also shoes for $150 and $200, bullet tech and gimmicks, 
but they will most likely fail to make you faster or a better runner. That, my friends, comes deep down inside and lots of miles. But wearing the proper attire and quality shoes will provide you with the tools to achieve amazing things. In the end, everything really comes down to personal preference. Lastly, when you wear out a pair of shoes, consider donating them before throwing them in the trash. Because of their expense and durability, a gently used pair of running shoes can benefit someone else. Donating the shoes to a charity or a thrift store might be just the thing to get another runner started pounding the pavement. Be sure to join me for the next podcast. We'll take an in-depth look at nutrition and hydration. I promise it will not be full of a lot of bland meal plans. Instead, we'll focus on how to fuel the most incredible machine ever, the human body. By the end, you'll know what your body needs and make informed choices that will make a difference. Also, please answer the following question in the workbook, located in the fourth chapter. Take some time to reflect and write a brief and concise answer. The question is this. What are the most important features to you when buying shoes? Well, that's all for this fourth podcast. Be sure to come back for podcast number five, titled Nutrition and Hydration. 